Welcome to the Jack and Ron Show, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner, Jack Ingram. Coming up in two minutes is episode 26, featuring a singer-songwriter who recently launched a solo career after touring for nearly 30 years as the frontman for 1100 Springs and a close friend of Jack's since the mid-90s, Matt Hilliard. Check the description for Jack and guest bios and website links, including a link to listen to the show for your favorite audio platform or watch on YouTube. Plus, a link to access jackandaroundshow.com, where you'll find the show's upcoming release schedule and back catalog of episodes, plus more. Before we begin, here's a one-minute preview of today's episode, followed by a quick word from Jack on the behalf of our sponsor, Lone Star Dragons. How long did you go around with, okay, the Gutter Rats, then the Lone Star Trio? We went from Lone Star Trio to this rock band called Strap. We started going more after what the Reverend Horton Heat was doing, and we got louder and louder. Why'd you spell out 1100 Springs? It was problematic. If you put it on a sign, people are like, at 11 o'clock, Springs are playing. (laughs) (laughs) But we would always get to the sound check like an hour and a half later than they would. They're like, we leave at the same time. What is the deal with you guys? It's like, we have to pull over to the side of the road every hundred miles and drop the drive shaft and replace the U joints. <laughs> we played a gig with you at the Melody Mountain Ranch. In Waco? In Waco. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember having a conversation with you and you were talking about, it's like, man, I can see what we do in front of really big crowds. Can you see it? And I was like, I remember thinking, it's like, no. <laughs> Why'd y'all disband 1100 Springs? I think we got to a point where it's like when it's time to make a record, we'll just kind of scratch our heads and go, are we, we doing this or? Jack and Around Show is presented by Lone Star Dry Goods, a curated collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit Lone Star Dry Goods in person at the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas and Willow Park, Texas near Fort Worth. We're online at LoneStarDryGoods.com. Ready to go. <laughs> Batman. Batman. That's one of my favorite friends. Yeah. He was Ice House Cups. Lone Star Ice House. Lone Star Dry Good Ice House Cups. And you could even put something in there from Bahama Bucks if you wanted to. Whoa. Yeah. That'd be good. Uh-huh. Bahama Bucks, I thought that'd be a great cover-up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't feel like it worked? Yeah. I think it did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you came bearing gifts. That's, you that's always charm good. school 101. Yeah. yeah. Come, come show up bearing gifts. A nice, tasty treat takes the edge off for everybody. <laughs> no, no, all kinds of ways. Yeah. I used to bring donuts to my first period class when I was like 20 minutes late. Really? In high school. Did that work for you? Fuck yeah. I was a. T- did. See, I could see I was not a good student. Neither was I, but I was a fun student. Right. But so I don't mean that I was a bad student in the sense that my grades were bad. They weren't great. But I mean, I got thrown out of every single class I was ever in from first grade on. Yeah, that's what I, that's where the, that's That's where the the fun part. That's where the crawling up in the teacher's lap really came in handy. Well, that's what I mean. Like, that's why I'm asking if it worked because I just got, I'm just not smart enough. It depends on your level of charm. (laughs) It depends. Well, you can either say charm or bullshit. I couldn't be contained and I'm still this way. Like, I think that, like, I think that situations like a classroom or church or any place where you're supposed to keep your cool and just be chill. Yeah. Any place where there's boundaries. It's not. They must be pushed. It's like the two of us being in the same room with other people are trying to play quiet songs. It could be a real bad situation. (laughs) Like we're going to get thrown thrown out of the room. (laughs) 
But I think from what it sounds like, you'd end up in the principal's office and I ended up sitting in the hall waiting for her to come out. And I beat the system, though. Finally, I beat the system through a lot of hard work and getting in trouble. First grade, I got thrown out of class. The first time, I'm sitting in the hallway. And the first time that happens, the teachers, they walk by and they look at you and they're just like, you feel real bad as a first grader. And then it happens like the next day. And then the next day, and like by the third day, they walk by and they give you that look and you're just like, what? <laughs> See? I like it here. <laughs> this is where I like to hang out, in front of Locker 325. Right. This is my spot. And then you double down on it. That's that's one way to do it. And I had a period of time where my I went to school where my mother was a teacher. Oh, I never had to do, and deal with that. it was fifth grade through high school, and she's a high school teacher. And she would go into the teacher's lounge. And all of her friends by then had already told her it's Tuesday. They worked on a demerit system. And like by Tuesday, I had all the demerits you could get to get for the week for four hour Saturday detention. You had two hour detention and four hour. I was always four hour. I would look at my mom in the hall and be like, hey, mom, what's up? And she's just like, no, we're going to talk later on. But I finally beat the system because at a certain point, I was in junior high. And they sent me to the principal again, and I sit down in his office, and he's like, uh, he just goes, hey, man, have you ever, first thing he said was, you know, I find that uh, sometimes the kids that everybody thinks are the trouble kids, they're the ones that actually wind up doing cool stuff. I'm like, thanks, I like you, man. Thanks, man. (laughs) And then he goes, another time I get sent in there, sit down, he goes, hey, man, have you ever uh, seen the movie Field of Dreams? I'm like, nah, I never seen it. And he just goes, It's a pretty good movie. You should check it out. And that was it. I was like, man, I broke it. I broke it. <laughs> um, you're his sounding board. I, this isn't helping y'all's cause at all. It's cause I wanna I wanna spend time in here. Find a job for me in the principal's office. No kidding. Uh-huh. Should have should have taken it. But See, if man, I'd have brought donuts, I think I probably would have when I was in the hallway, teachers would come, I first they'd shake their head and then I'd be all hey, hi. How you doing? And then my teacher, after a period of time, would come out and I'd have like three or four teachers and I'd be sitting there holding court, having fun, talking to the teachers. Yeah. And she go, Jack, what are y'all talking about? Yeah. <laughs> the words that I heard more than anything was, he has a lot of potential. He just needs to apply himself. Yeah. He needs to focus <laughs> in the right direction. He needs to focus his attention in the right ways. And that's what music did for me, really. Well, that really, that's the thing that your, that your principal, he was probably, I mean, I don't know how old he was at the time, but he's right. Yeah. The kids who I always tell my kids, like, if you're going to be trouble, be interesting. Yeah. Like, just be worth talking about. That's a teachable moment. Don't just do stupid shit. (laughs) Do stupid, interesting shit. Yeah. If I, 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 wish, I wish somebody would actually put it to me that way. I remember being with guys like you. We built me getting in trouble, but I'd be like, okay, that's it. That's We're at the line. And then you just come in oh. with another du- with a double down trick, which works for Trump <laughs> and some others. I always had one particular running buddy that we would get each other thrown out. And I thought it was great. Finally, I found somebody who was like me. And at least, <laughs> at least I wasn't alone. And then I remember me and my buddy Chris Ivey sitting in the hall one one day after getting thrown out again. And uh <laughs> and he just he was visibly upset because he knew it was going to be a real conversation for him they were going to call his parents and stuff and i <laughs> i'd given up on that i was just like 
What? What are they going to do? Hit we me were, again? I thought we were having fun. <laughs> what am I, grounded? Yeah. <laughs> can't, I can't go out on Friday nights. I have to stay home and play guitar. Right. Mm, no. But that is what music did for me. Maybe. It's a good outlet. It's a good. It's a good place to focus your attention yeah. to to apply yourself. It it was man, and then all of a sudden getting up on stage because I mean that's about the time seventh grade when everything sucked. That's really about the time I started playing for real gigs. Yeah. What were know. your first gigs? Like was it just Matt Hillier? Or was uh, it... Matt the cat. That was the, Matt the cat and, and the gutter rats. We put it. My brother Matt and the I, cat stuck still sticks. Well, I was into rockabilly music, and I thought. I thought I would be cool if I had a nickname, and I had a friend, Dad, who when they when I would go to his house, he would call me Matt the Cat, and I was like, "Hey, that works." That's it's total rockabilly that's too. That's kind of rockabilly, man. That's I'm gonna, I'm gonna be Matt the Cat. So I put together a band, and we played the school talent show, and uh, we won. Of course. Of course, now nobody wins. Nobody wins the talent show anymore. You know. I never won the talent show. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Well, do, do, would well you charm actually, will get you to the talent <laughs> yeah, show. Did you, did you actually enter the talent show? No. Okay. Well, I was always. That's in. why you didn't win. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. But you never lose. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough. That's a good way to. I was in. The, I was always in the productions of where they picked the students. Uh huh. Like the the plays and the the all school thing in the lunchroom where I was Uncle Sam. Because I was the only one dumb enough to go, oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. My brother, I think I've, I've mentioned this on another podcast, but my brother would look at my mom because he's older than me. And, yeah. And I'd be up there hamming it up, full beard, red and white, blue suit, <laughs> singing on a Yankee Doodle Dandy. And uh, he looks at my mom and goes, why do you make him do that? <laughs> He's not off to the side go with his buddies going, Jack has a man China. Jack has a- <laughs> that would have been the next step because he's like, What why would you make him do that? She's like, he volunteers. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. But yeah, so you so you were well, you've always been a talented a technical enough to be in the talent show. Oh, stop. Come on. Stop. <laughs> Quit. Go on. Yeah. In which ways? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I we always had every single Christmas there was some sort of like musical instrument that was bought. Music was such a huge deal for me and my brother. And I was tried to play piano, wasn't very good at that. And I don't know why it took me so long to play guitar, just because I always wanted to be a guitar player, you know. Um, so you weren't good at piano. I mean, I could figure musically. I I just wasn't my thing, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you just figure out what it is, and once I started playing guitar. It made sense, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a decent guitar player. So right, and then after that, put a little band together and just really focused. And Matt the Cat and the Gutter Rats. Gutter Rats. Uh-huh. Best band name ever. That's Roll, a good name. Rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. Matt the Cat and the Gutter Rats. Many a time, people have asked, "Whatever happened to the Gutter Rats, man?" If I was a classmate, that'd be a good band to have back. There's the, still a picture at the at reunion. The, yeah, there's still a picture of the Matt the Cat and the Gutter Rats at the check stop. Oh, really? Uh-huh. So you were out touring with the Gutter Rats? Well, so I mean, at least exit. I met up with. Uh, I was so into rockabilly, and I would go, and I initially I was pretty bummed out because I discovered this kind of music that meant a lot to me, but it you know it was not a, even a thing that anybody knew about. Hardly. Are we I, still talking about? 
way back then or just way back to then. now? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we no, chose. My business model has always been, let's pick the most niche thing, <laughs> whatever it is. That and make it more inaccessible. I'm trying to make... I'm trying to redefine success. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Reinvent the wheel. It's important. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but I mean, I was, I was kind of bummed out because there wasn't, there weren't any rockabilly bands to go see. The Stray Cats had broken up. Uh, but then I became hip to the Wagoneers. Mm -hmm. The Wagoneers. Money. Yeah, and I met them. My grandmother had a friend who worked for KLRU, the PBS affiliate in Austin. And they were putting That's on. Right. They were putting on a show. It was a two night tribute to Buddy Holly, and Chris Christopherson was hosting it. And what like year was this? Eighty eight. Yeah, yeah, probably eighty eight. And and uh, my grandmother said that they we could have tickets for one night, which was hard to decide because you know one night is Carl Perkins and Don McLean and uh, Brian Setzer and all these. Sweethearts of the Rodeo were on that show. You remember that band? Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, so we went, and I was all dudded up, you know, when I was 13. Like, all my cool clothes were, like, were two sizes too big. But I looked, <laughs> I looked cool, you know? Yeah. And I Was put, it like a rockabilly suit? I think what I had was this, like, uh, it was this little sweatshirt that had Buddy Holly's face on it. And uh, I had, like, a leather jacket and these these creeper shoes that, that I wore. And uh, my hair was all slicked up and um, they, the people, the production people saw me in the bleachers and they were like, Hey, you need to be down here where the, where the cameras are at. How old were you? Yeah, it's like 12 or 13. In 88. All right. Yeah. So they put us at a table sitting next to like Maria Elena Holly and Buddy Holly's brother. And it, like, I knew who, who they were just cause I was that kind of a music nerd. Right. But then also at the other table was was Monty and Brent and uh, all the Wagoneers. Tom was there, and, right? And they could they looked at me. They're like, "We see you, dude. We 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 know what you're up to." And they struck up conversation. We became friends. Oh, that's killer! Yeah, and then they invited me out to. Uh, they were playing at the Austin Music Hall for like New Year's Eve, opening for Joe Ely. Mm -hmm. And they invited me out, put me on the guest list, brought me backstage and stuff. And they'd just been signed to A&M. And when they handed you a guitar, you could play. I could play. I could play. But but um, so they put me on some shows. At the same time, back in Dallas, I, I got to know Reverend Horton Heat. Mm -hmm. I went to one of his shows, and he was the same. He just saw this little kid walking up all dressed up and remembered that. So. Yeah. When I had a band that would start to play, if I could have one set at all, these guys were cool enough to go, hey, what's up with your band? Do you want to come open at the Continental Club? That's like, killer. That's great. Yeah. And it was... Who so else was doing it, that kind of country rockabilly stuff back then in Dallas? The Rev was really kind of it. That was it. I mean, before that, Teddy and the Tall Tops, I think. What about that dude who was... Kind of older and country. Oh, Ronnie Dawson? Or, yeah. Well, Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie lived in Dallas. And of course, but he didn't come out. They didn't rediscover him until a couple no, years later. He, and we were like the Lone Star Trio, our band later, our rockabilly, other rockabilly band, wound up being like his first backup band in the States because he would hire different British bands and go play these British, which was a huge big deal to me to get, to even just get, get to know him. Yeah. And then be. I don't know when you're when you're doing something that niche and 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 you're that young, every every mentor you could have was swinging doors open for you. 
and happy to have somebody. I'm sure that those guys got extra excited about a young kid doing it. Yeah. And got, you know, oh, wow, he's, he's con- continuing the right tradition. Yeah, because that kind of music, it's almost like you're in a gang or something. You sort of spot the other guys, you know, and you sort of gravitate towards each other. And it's it's kind of cool in that way. But the Wagoneers manager at the time, Carlin Major, she, yeah, <laughs> she she had this little gold filling in her tooth, and I used to call her Twinkle Tooth. She hated that. Yeah, she it, was, she managed all of Austin. Yes, because before the Wagoneers, what is it? I think it was like Rank and File, maybe Lone Justice. She got signed. Yeah, and then I didn't know Lone Justice was out of Austin. I think so. Yeah, is that Maria McKee? Yeah, yeah. So she had had some success with those folks and then sort of took me on a, in a developmental kind of role. And then Matt the Cat and the Gutter Rats became a thing. They put it together a different band and it was... Um, you had to leave your friends at home? I, I had to fire my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know come what, to that time, buddy. Yeah, you know what? He was so cool about it, though. He's like, yeah, you, you, you need... I'm not good. You need to know. Well, when they... He probably he knew like you're you're into this yeah yeah you're diving in and we were doing two totally different you know he was into punk rock still and him trying to get on board with what I was doing it didn't make any sense was he playing guitar or what he was, was he playing, playing drums and then we had a <laughs> so the, he was Bob yeah yeah <laughs> oh boy <laughs> love it Texas <laughs> yeah. what about Bob <laughs> yeah yeah Valens <laughs> Willems our dad's name you can't just cut it in half. <laughs> I didn't hear it. 60 takes. Didn't hear a difference in one. Don't get, don't get me started on Bob. There you go. That's the whole the Bob episode of the My checker. favorite one. I only got really one from Bob. Besides, what about Bob? Is when he goes, you better keep your ass to the wall tonight, <laughs> I'm, Richie. I'm so drunk tonight. I'm so messed up. I'm going to mistake you for Rosie. For Rosie. <laughs> yeah. Bob is the coolest, man. Put a little mocha in our love life. <laughs> Bob's still around. I think he's on like NYPD or something. He's Simon Morales, man. Is he? He's, he's good. Is that from Law and Order kind of show? I can't remember what the last thing, thing I saw him. In CSI was. or yeah, he's always in something the, like that. Big network crime dramas. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So we started doing more shows, and they put the next band that I, and you know who I don't know if you remember this name or not, but the original band was my brother, and then do you remember Meredith Miller? Yeah. Yeah. She played bass. It was a real odd Wow. Yeah. How old was she? She had to be maybe three or four years older than me. She started making records Mm -hmm. a few years later after that. Yeah. Yeah. We went to school together and Reed Easterwood loved her. Yeah. Ah, we bringing it back. We we got to put a pin in Reed Easterwood. We're not quite there yet. I don't think. (laughs) No. As long as he keeps showing up. Oh, my gosh. He's always worth a mention. So Meredith was the bass player. Yeah. But we got, Carlin was like, you need, honey, you need a new band. So she uh, reached out to Marsha Ball because she knew Marsha's stepson, Jeb, was a really good drummer. Mm Mm-hmm. So he started playing drums, and then she Jeb Ball, Jeb Fowler, because he was, missed his he missed his calling. Yeah, yeah, Jeb Ball. <laughs> I'm playing with the Jeb Ball. <laughs> hey, it sounds like a, one of those Texas music festivals. Are you playing Jeb Ball this year? <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> it's out in the heat. Josh Ebbett band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeb Jam. <laughs> Jeb, Jeb Jam. <laughs> You play a Jeb Jam? Yeah, it's out in the heat. They got a stage out there. It's uncovered. They, uh, they give you towels? Yeah, it's in August. Yeah. 
you, you get they got a place for you to hang out underneath the the oak tree in the parking in lot in the mud pit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When it's time to get paid, you just get to wait around. Yeah, yeah. You get to hang out in a <laughs> RV with no AC. Steve, our bass player, there used to be this thing that you could make a video, like an animated, you would put in the text and it would come up with these computerized little characters. And he, he wrote this whole thing about these situations, about the worst festivals that you play. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he probably promoted some of those. Yeah, probably so. Uh, it's like, we have some room temperature meat that's on the table. <laughs> it's like a jib jab thing. Follow the flies. If you want to hang out, you can hang out <laughs> underneath the tree with the mud in the mud pit. Um, yeah, but so I don't know. We just started playing gigs as Matt the Cat and the Gutter Rats. So the question that everybody wants to know is, why'd you spell out 1100 Springs? Because it was problematic. If you put it on a sign, people are like, at 11 o'clock, Springs are playing. <laughs> <laughs> or 1100 Springs is coming up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, See, you're a problem solver. It's just, it, it, you know, it just becomes practical at that point. You know? When did that start happening? So how long did you go around with, okay, the Gutter Rats, then the Lone Star Trio? Yeah. Then for a minute, was it just Matt the Cat? Mm -mm, no, I, we went from Lone Star Trio to this rock band called Strap, this hard rock band. It was like a ZZ Top, ACDC type thing. All right. Because Lone Star Trio just started, we started going more after what the Reverend Horton Heat was doing, and we got louder and louder and just closer to just being a rock band anyways with an upright bass and this guy playing double kick drums and all this and that thing yeah and that eventually we're just like you, you can't hear the bass you can't really hear the if we're going to be loud let's be a rock band while we can and we thought people would like it they did not like was it, it two guitars at the end it was but at first it was like a power trio like you know we really ZZ Top was what made that sense. The, That's what made sense. It's like, if we're going to be loud, like ZZ Top's a trio. They sort of play bluesy, sort of boogie type stuff. That's right. We could do that. You yeah, know? that's what you did. Yeah. So we did it for a minute. And then after that was 1100 Springs. And was that still Steve? Was Steve? Yeah. Steve and I met in a band called the Red Devils. After Matt the Cat and the Gutter Rats, I moved back to Dallas the whole management thing fell apart. So you moved to Austin when you were mid-teens? Well, I I didn't move, but in the summer times. I would come down and do gigs, but I, and I would stay at Carlin's house during the summer, which was just kind of intimidating. Not, I mean, not because really her. She's she's a force of nature, you know. Right. She doesn't pull any punches. But, right. But just because that's where, where everything was, and it was just intimidating just because all of a sudden you're sort of thrust into this world of, Texas music that I was didn't. it fun. Yeah, of course it was fun because we were playing at that point. We were playing, you know, when you're, when you're 13, 14 and you're playing the hole in the wall and the continental club and green hall and broken spoke and all these places that, you know, are sort of legendary. Yeah. And it's a charge, man. Like, you know, it's still a charge for us when we get up on stage and you get that sort of instant gratification. Then you were playing for real, in front of real bands. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're learning on the job. And I didn't make a lot of money, but I didn't have to have like a, a job at the yogurt store or anything like right. that. I, had, I always had some money in my pocket. Right. And it was cool. And it felt like, because Carlin was getting people signed, it really did feel like there it might go someplace. Something could happen. Yeah, because Kelly Willis was also just just got signed with signed up with with Carlin at the same time. 
and you're in and was this, she already with you know, like was that did that go right to universal or whatever um, mca she, mca she went to um it was pretty quick i remember the first time she, i saw her was at poor david's pub with the the wagoneers and she had the band kelly and the fireballs yeah yeah and she was married to um moss moss mm -hmm. so yeah that seemed like it was going and they even carlin put together like a a showcase for tony brown matt the cat and the gutter rats wow yeah was it a was that a south by southwest thing no it was uh lazona rosa and i think we were opening for the sub dudes mm -hmm. and it was my first day of high school and so i went to high school and left for the first day got in the car where my mom picked me up took me to love field and flew me down there but it was also the same day that stevie ray vaughn died and i would just was starting to get into his stuff my mom told me in the car and i was like, I'm pretty bummed out you know because i just was really getting into it mm -hmm. and i was sure that i would eventually get to meet him because i had all these mutual friends of course you would have yeah and then when gordon fowler jeb's dad picked me up at the airport everybody i saw was in, just in tears the whole time so the energy was bad for the show mm -hmm. and i it sucked and and i remember being up there sucking <laughs> and looking over at the table because tony brown i think was in town rounding up music for thelma and louise okay oh yeah yeah charlie's in that yeah and that's right it's you know, I forgot about that. And the, I did too until the other night. The movie was came on. They were rerunning it. They're like, rerunning it a lot right mm -hmm. now for some reason. And I saw, I heard him. And I go, yeah, that sounds like David it's, Charlie Sexton. Kind of like, <laughs> kind of like watching Hope floats. <laughs> kind of like, take me back to Travis County. <laughs> there you go. I, like, I know that dude. Yeah, man, that's that's what it was like. All of a sudden, and they took time to focus on the pretty boy and do uh -huh. the whole band thing. It was happening. Yeah. So so he's in town getting stuff for Thelma and Louise. Yeah, and I'm I'm up there sucking, and I can feel it. I know it sucks. My guitar sounds like crap. The show's not going well. Uh, all the energy around me is bad, and I'm looking over, and there's Tony Brown. This, this I'm on stage here. The 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 table that they're at is right there. Like like they set up a table specially right there, <laughs> right you front know? row, right. There's Tony Brown <laughs> and Bruce Robinson and Kelly Willis and Carlin. They're all just having enchiladas and watching me suck, you know? Oh. A week later, Carlin called me up and she read me the riot act. She's like, you'll never play guitar on your records ever and you need to... Wow. She told me I needed to sign a publishing deal or we probably wouldn't be working together anymore, which I really thought I blew it. As a kid, I mean, I'm 15. I, I thought, man, that was... That, I was I, just putting that together. That must have sucked. Yeah, it did. It did. And she, she, you know, she dressed me down like only she could. And, yeah. uh, and I remember being bummed out. But then I remember like maybe a week later, just kind of thinking to myself, oh, fuck you. You know? Is that what you, you get your jollies after dressing down a 15-year-old kid? Yeah. You know, like it was, it, people have, I, I wasn't up there trying to suck. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like I was trying to, and then she went through this whole thing where she told me leading up to it, this is not a showcase. It's not a show anyways. Right. But anyway. Trying to keep the pressure off you. And then, and then when you suck, pretending like you knew that this was big time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think what pissed me off the most 
and I don't have any really ill feeling. I'm, you know, she, no, she wasn't wrong, but I just, I didn't dig it. What, what, what pissed me off the most, what really got me to say, well, screw it. You know, I guess this is just not meant to be. Right. Which is a hard thing as a 15 year old to sort of come, come to. But I think the whole thing about the publishing deal, because she wanted me to sign a publishing contract with her publishing company. And I just thought, why? I mean, I, I barely have even written three or four songs. I'm just learning how to do this. Now you want, no. Yeah. Don't give me an ultimatum. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's pretty, I just, that's, pr just that's started, a lot of wherewithal I, as a 15 year old kid to kind of. I just didn't want to, I, I didn't want to proceed with that and plus i didn't really i really wanted to be in a rockabilly band and i think what they wanted me to be was like uh new kids on the barnyard or something like that <laughs> seriously i mean because they we were a three-piece and then they started talking talking <laughs> to uh, really i mean they started talking to colin gilmore jimmy dale gilmore's son about playing a second guitar right and like they're trying to build this you know boy band of texas music legacy which kind of would have been cool but that's not what i wanted to well do. if you'd have had the right if you didn't know i mean it, it wouldn't have been new <laughs> new kid what was it new kids on the barnyard yeah well they dressed us up in these cool little clothes and stuff and but at the time they were having some there was a lot of potential and some success because kelly was in yeah. rockabilly stuff too yeah and so they kind of go okay we'll get her signed as this force of nature and then we'll yeah. mold her into this country act yeah which is probably what they that's what they wanted with you. to do yeah but so then i just i left all that behind i went back to dallas and i joined this band called the red devils out of denton and that's where steve and i met uh and that was just like a garage punk rockabilly band and i just was playing guitar i wasn't singing at all which was a really great move for me for like the six months that we were in that band yeah it just refocused and and then Steve and I quit. What were you doing on guitar? Were you were you power coordinator or were you Angus Young in it? No, I mean I was doing, you know, that sort of jazzy rockabilly sort of stuff. Bluesy, jazzy rockabilly stuff, you know. And I really knuckled down and just tried to become a better guitar player. Cause mm -hmm. that's that's when I started, that's what I wanted to be as a guitar player. Right. Singing and songwriting was just a byproduct of, you know, like a, a means to an end right. for the whole thing. But uh, so, yeah, I was knuckling down on that. And then we quit and started Lone Star Trio. And we spent a few years on the road doing that. But then after Lone Star Trio to Strap. Strap. Strap was. <sighs> oh, man. Strap it on, boy. Uh, seriously. Oh, man. I talked more shit than I sang. <laughs> I just scream at the audience. The funniest shows we would do, we became friends with Jack O'Pierce. Oh, yeah. And it was so funny because they loved the, the, we could not have been more opposite. <laughs> right. No. And like uh, ca candelabras on stage and velvet drapes over all kinds of stuff. And, and they, we would come up with full Marshall stacks and two double bass drums and two, and just, and just scream at their audience, <laughs> <laughs> berate their audience, but they loved it. They loved it. They loved it. That was when I was open and formed too. Uh-huh. That's funny. Who were you closer to in that camp, Jack or Carrie? I love them both for the uh, same, yeah, for different yeah, reasons. That's, okay. Carrie, cause I was in a fraternity at SMU at the time. Okay. And Car they were in that same fraternity. And so I, I would watch them every Monday 
at the rhythm room. Remember the rhythm oh, room? Oh, yeah. I remember the rhythm room. And I would just stare up there and go, I could do that. Yeah. And so then I started, Carrie was really helpful. They were both really helpful to me. Yeah. And I really do love them both. He was so full of energy and knew exactly where they were playing. Like he was booking the shows and doing the that merch. That makes a lot of sense. And doing all the stuff. Yeah. And which afforded Jack the, the, the ability to, to just be the be rock Mr. and roll cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm smoking weed. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Carrie was always nice to me too. So I loved them both. I wanted to be Jack. Yeah. And I wanted to have a business like Carrie. Yeah. yeah. And to this day, Carrie, I'm still in touch with, with Carrie all the time. Not all the time. We, we talk occasionally. And he's I like, see Jack once in a while. His brother lives right down the street from me. Herm. Uh, yeah. James. James. That's he right. He was my first harmonica that's player. That's right. That's what he told me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure I can go ahead and just with uh, license to say that he says hello. Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, Tell him I said hello. He's a good dude. Yeah. We used to play at the open mic night, he and I. The rhythm room is a, right across the street from the, the Green Elephant. That's right. No, the across the street bar. That's right. Well, so the rhythm room was on. Okay. Yeah. They were on, on the same street. Dyer. Yeah. And Green Elephant and Across the Street Bar and the uh, Yale Street Ice House. How many uh, iterations of the Rhythm Room did you play? Because I feel like the Rhythm Room was first. Right. Before well, it, before that, right before we got there, it was Popsicle Toes. Oh, see, no, I don't remember that. That was what my brother went to. Popsicle Toes and didn't it, last? It didn't last. <laughs> what? what a great name. How confusing can it be? I mean, then it you... turned into the Rhythm Room. Now it's the Green Elephant again. Yeah. That's right. Well, I feel like the rhythm room, I, in my memory, the rhythm room maybe became Stimpy's and then something called the Stone Pony. Yeah, that's right. It became the Stone Pony. Uh -huh. Then it became the Home Bar. Okay. But that was after I was well on my way to Eight Airs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you lived in Dallas, though, right? Yeah, I was going to school there. Yeah, okay. That's how I knew all your iterations of, of different bands because yeah. I, I just knew there was this you know this really cool guy named Matt the Cat oh was... that's so sweet <laughs> yeah man yeah when did you what year did you start doing the eight years thing 90 okay the the 90 or 91 the, the January of I didn't realize we were that far behind you in the eight years Monday night were you you were Mondays right? I was two I was every Tuesday night. Okay. We that were. was, and you got, you guys started playing there around 98. 98. Yeah. That's right. So I had, I had quit coming about 96. Yeah. So all of your shows there were in the triangle stage at the back of the bar. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It all wasn't even a stage. Yeah. It was, we'd have to come in. I'd come in at like six or seven, take the booth out. That was right underneath the TV. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'd take that and put it back by the men's restroom, by the payphone. Yeah. And uh, the jukebox was back there then, too. Yeah. And so we'd have to, when we went home, I'd, un I'd un unplug the jukebox, which was... Which is the worst place that you could set up the band uh, uh, in that place ever. Because if you remember it, and I don't know that they fixed it or not, but something wasn't right with the plumbing and the bathroom. It used to stink. Oh, it was bad. <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> I remember there was a walkway. Here was here was the corner. The bathrooms were back here. And you'd walk through. And then there were like room for like three or four booths over here. Uh -huh. 
And people, that's where all your friends would sit and just yell mean shit at you while you're oh, yeah. playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Monday nights for us, we were in, this is how the overlap with the whole rock band and how 1100 Springs started. Because we were doing, I was, you know, Richie Vasquez plays drums? Yeah. Okay, so Richie and I had a, a day gig at the time working at a warehouse. And we were doing these rock gigs too. And he was playing with Jesse Dayton and Richie and I got to talking and Steve and Richie and I decided it'd be kind of cool if we could make some extra beer money playing old country songs. Cause that's kind of where, where our roots were Yeah. on Monday nights and it wasn't supposed to be anything. So we went to Steve, of course, Steve got us our first gigs and most of the gigs. So Steve was Carrie. Steve is the, yeah, Steve he, is, he was the business guy. Yeah. Steve is the guy who <laughs> quite literally is, kept me out of jail probably really so he's he's on, he was always on it yeah well when we when we first hooked up it, it was really kind of a thing where instantly it became a sort of we knew we were going to have each other's back mm -hmm. on some level and uh probably him more so than me him having my back yeah you know uh but so we started doing that on monday nights <laughs> you'd talk your way out of trouble and I was too clueless to even know it was happening. He would be able to get out of trouble oh, yeah, yeah. too. You weren't trying to and help him. He could him. work on cars and stuff. So I, I do remember know. that. So when we'd be at the side of the road, we there was one tour. We had this bagel van. It was a. a you remember Bagelsteins? Oh, of course. Okay. So the first <laughs> van we bought was from Bagelsteins. I'm sort of derailing here, but it's worth it's <laughs> worth it's worth it's, it's going to be worth it. The first van we bought was from Bagelsteins, and it's this big white cargo van, no seats except the two front seats, and no windows. And it's, <laughs> like Dumb and Dumber. And it says, if yeah, pretty much. Like, but it says on the side with a big phone number, inviting you to a world of fine dining, Spring Valley and Coit. Bagelsteins got a big blue bagel on the side of it, <laughs> and. Uh, and they had sprayed it with spray-on insulation. I don't know, to keep the bagels warm or something. It's like a delivery van. Wow. We bought this thing. And uh, <laughs> and so it's – but everywhere we would go, of course, people, the minute we pull up, we get out, people are like, you got any bagels? Uh, that must have been fun every oh, time. Oh, it was fun. But the other part that was fun about it is all that spray-on insulation. If you rubbed up against it, like you'd get like this orange dust on you. So we'd, oh, yeah. we'd roll out in these cool <laughs> rockabilly duds and get out and there's orange dust on us. <laughs> so finally, Showbiz, baby. So this is where the Dumb and Dumber really comes in. Because at one point in time, we decided we needed to upholster somehow the inside of the van. So Steve and I, somehow we got like... Uh, used carpet from one of our friends mom's house there's a big roll of it and we we like gl glued it to <laughs> like chipboard <laughs> we glued it to chipboard and we screwed it into the walls so the whole inside was this carpet <laughs> but the problem was when we screwed it into the ceiling where the screws were too long <laughs> So they they went, went through. through. Yeah. And if it would rain. <laughs> I bet that smelled good. Oh, yeah, man. That just is a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Why can't I breathe? Because <laughs> you're living in black mold. <laughs> so it's either orange dust or black mold. But anyways. Uh, I take black mold. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Until you your should. nervous system so shuts down. <laughs> oh, well. Anyways, so I don't know where I, how I derailed off the <laughs> I don't either van. Remember, but that's great. Hopefully we can find a picture of that. Oh, I've got it. Yeah. 
Oh, but no, because Steve could. This is where it was. Okay. The bagel van was uh, just started to, to fall apart. Because That's the it, difference between last time we talked and this time. We could follow the thread. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we've done this before, folks. <laughs> have we? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I got deja vu. If you wouldn't have screwed it up, we wouldn't have to be here. Uh, yeah, again. I know. I'm sorry. I owe you one, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so that bagel van kept falling apart and falling apart. Like it, it, we, it, the motor blew one time, and instead of just leaving it at the side of the road in the desert in California, we t- towed it back to Dallas and got a new motor in it. But it cost was, you like thousand bucks. Yes, it's like it was a terrible idea. Just a, a long list of reasons not to do any number of things. But there was one tour that we were on. I don't know if you remember a band called Tenderloin. Barely. Okay, Taz Bentley, who after he played with the Rez, Rev, he played with with Tenderloin, and we okay. went to a mis- Midwest run with those guys. We'd stay at the same hotels, and but we would always get to the sound check like an hour and a half later than they would. And at one point, they're like, "Why we leave at the same time? What is the deal with you guys?" It's like, well. We have to pull over to the side of the road every hundred miles and drop the drive shaft to replace the U joints. <laughs> we went on tour with a case of U joints. <laughs> if you got, if you have to go on tour with a case of U joints, you're doing you're doing <laughs> it wrong. Something's not happening right. But but Steve could do it, and that's right. why you know necessity is the mother. of What's all. Steve doing now? Invention. He, he is well. He he's a buy and sell type guy. He's like one. Of, he's not. I wouldn't say he's a picker, but he's a, a guy. He's a, he's a guy who's got an eye for stuff and has always been estate selling and reselling stuff. And he's done pretty well. And he's got a, he's got a booth at this vintage shop that I think he does pretty well with. But oh, he that's also cool. he's also working for the record label that I'm with now. So we never seem to quite be able to separate from one another. We so he's working at the label. What's back. he doing at the label? Uh, he's kind of, as I would, as I told him when they talked about hiring him on, it's like, you, you watch and short order, this dude is going to be your MVP because he picks up the phone. He answers emails. You ask him to do something. He does it immediately the right way. So that's kind of what it's, I think he started in sort of organizing their whole merch and shipping stuff just but now he's i think he's probably doing wearing all different kinds of hats Steve's on it oh yeah yeah always has been it's very irritating as as a person who's not on it i know i when you started saying he answers the phone returns calls emails oh god oh who does that anymore when does he have time to breathe that's the whole point of having a cell phone is to not have to talk to people and now they have notifications off or silent yeah don't you love it when you text somebody and it says so it it tells you they have their notifications silent you know my favorite thing is about that do you want to send anywhere? Yeah, right. Go, Just, Fuck yeah. yeah poke. <laughs> Can't <laughs> ignore me. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> to be clear, I think that the whole irritation is more probably on Steve's side of the table. Oh, I can't imagine table. that. Trying to deal with me for- Imagine for the weight he lost. Thir- 30 years. <laughs> imagine the weight he lost when y'all finally called it quits on 1100. Thir- 30 years. Yeah. 30 years, man. That's That's a good run. That's like Pete. Well, twenty three for eleven hundred, but then whatever. Yeah, you got that that thing with him. Except he's not good at any of that shit either. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a snappy dresser. He can dress. He's a snappy dresser. Last weekend we had a show and it was really hot. We were in Canadian Texas, which is way up there, Oklahoma, yeah. basically. And uh, the one thing I noticed from the show was that. 
for the first time in 27 years, I saw Pete pitting out. I was like, that's not like him. Oh, he had to hate it. <laughs> I, know yeah, he was, I didn't he even bring to it up it. to him. Yeah. He was like, ooh, that's a, that's a bad, that's a sad day in his history. I mean, if he's pitting out on his shirt, you can only imagine what's going on inside those laced up leather <laughs> pants. <laughs> oh, I can tell you what's going on there. Oh, okay. All right. I don't want to know. So speaking of coming to an end, not with Pete. Yeah. But um, why'd y'all quit? Why'd y'all, why, why'd y'all disband? I think we'd been, if I'm telling, if I'm honest, like we probably, we'd been hovering over that button for a long time, really. Just because, I mean, you get to, I think we got to a point where it's like when it's time to make a record, we just kind of scratch our heads and go, are we, we doing this or. Was it a matter of where's it going to go? Are we covering new ground or what, like, what was the artistic? Both of those those things, really. Like there are other factors. And I spent, I think, especially when the pandemic came along, it, you know, gave everybody in the world a chance to reevaluate where they're at in life and where they actually want to be. Yeah. And, um, I think for Steve's part, I think that he, he just, there's other things he wanted to do besides go, I mean, he doesn't drink, you know, going to bars is not his favorite thing. He just. Has he ever drank? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 There was a time legendary the stuff <laughs> of legend. Yeah. So, uh, I think it just wasn't what he wanted to do. And we had some pretty in-depth conversations over a period of like six months talking about it. And there, I did sort of say, well, well, how would you feel if I wanted to keep doing this and have somebody else? Because I mean, I, I've been here this whole time too. And I've worked a lot to develop it to what it is or what it isn't. That's, you know, it's, well, it's a big deal. No matter what. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Lone Springs is, is a big deal. Yeah. So, like, but when I had to ask my, I didn't want to do it. i just been having, I, if I'm telling the truth, I've really been having a, a lot of fun just doing the solo acoustic stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do something else. I don't necessarily know that. Uh, trying to keep traditional country music alive is is my focal point. I mean, I'm always going to write this kind of, of songs course. that I write, and they all you know, the, a lot of them will come out that way. And I still love that music, but just you know, you watch how I watch how hard Mike and the Moon Pies are working now, and they're doing great, and I'm so stoked because I know what it was like for us, and it, watching them and other bands that are similar and more traditional that are younger coming up and getting successful kind of makes me go, golly, I, I kind of wish we were doing it now and going out there and giving it the college try because there's, there's just more of an audience for that. There is. And, um, but the truth is, man, um, I, I know what it was, what it was like for, for us. And plus I, I just think it was, I wanted to do something different. He wanted to do something different. And what's more, I didn't really want to, to continue on without Steve at my side because if you know you're with somebody that long you you know you're like an old married couple which means you love each other and you drive each other nuts and all of that stuff but Mm -hmm. i just didn't i wouldn't have felt right about that just you know we started it together long before 1100 springs and we should for all the work and effort that he put in and for me too we should end it together. Yeah. You know, it's there's funny, got man, the way you so- talk about it, it's almost like you're in the military, like, cause you're still young. Well, I'm 46. Yeah. These days, that's the new, it's the 46 43. is the new 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you are young. It's like to have that kind of history, a 30 year history with a dude. Yeah. A successful history to, to varying degrees. And it's like, 
that must be cool to be able to go, okay, that was that. Yeah. Well, this is something, I mean, I know you can relate to a hundred percent because, um, you know, for like, for whatever it was or wasn't, you know, at the end of it, when you're looking back and people are lamenting and why, why are you breaking up and all that stuff? Uh, one thing that does come across and that you can actually see is that, you know, you had a place in this whole thing, right? You had a place in it and it impacted other people in the same way that other people impacted us and people impacted you. And that's right. That, that you ha have had an effect and still continue to on other people. Um, that's cool. It is cool. I mean, it's, it's comforting in the middle of the night and, and other time when you, when you're really thinking about it, cause we all, <clears throat> you can't help but get in this business and think, okay, first it's this, then it's bam, right. straight to the moon. Yeah. And, uh, and when you make it you somewhere heading towards the moon and you start going, oh, shit, we're losing our U-joints. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you kind of go, what was all this for? Right. Or what is all this for? Yeah. And you mentioned Mike and the Moon Pies, and I'm sure they would, they would say the same thing. And it sounds dramatic, but it's not. I've thought about it in times of my own situation, of bands like Wilco, bands that have a huge effect on the musical landscape around them yeah and influence bands that then go on to go way further than they did i mean yeah. wilco's an extreme example because they made it yeah they're still really up there but there are bands that they influenced i mean every band in the in the entire dfw area for 15 years sounded like wilco and in texas in general that really is so tangible because yeah. I'm, I'm sure you do this as well, but I like to read like bio music biography stuff. Yeah. And the thing when I read about Bob Wills or if I read about Willie Nelson or Steve Ray Vaughan, anybody that's from Texas, you're not going to have to read too long before you, you start hitting names. It's like, I know that dude. I know that dude. Yeah. And maybe they were in the grand scheme of things, maybe sort of bit players or whatever or not, but you, you still have access to it. And that's one of the things I love about most about the scene is that everybody is sort of in that whole thing together. And yeah. for, and for me, like the way I looked at it, like I've talked about how a lot of the stuff that I was doing felt niche. I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying the word right. Niche, 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 <laughs> niche, niche. Can you edit this? <laughs> My mother's going to watch. You think She's you, an you English professor. You think he knows how to say it? <laughs> no. No, but... Um, what are you saying, niche? Well, niche. Niche, niche, whatever. You know what I'm saying. I know exactly what you're but saying. But so all the stuff that I was into, and this relates, I was thinking about this on the way down here. Uh, it always felt like something that, that was only ever supposed to get so big. So the, like when we were starting 1100 Springs, like the guys that we were looking to were like the derailers and their success model was to go and play like 300 seaters and have good crowds and travel all over the country playing that traditional style of country music. Yeah. To me, that looked great. Yeah. But I remember, and I don't know if you, you probably won't remember this, but I remember having, we played a gig with you at the Melody Mountain Ranch. In Waco? In Waco. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, the good times. <laughs> but your trajectory was going up like 
this and it was probably around about the time of hey you right just just maybe just late before. 90s yeah 99 2000 and i remember having a conversation with you and you were talking about it's like man i can see what we do in front of really big crowds in really big venues i can see it i, I can envision it can you see it right and i was i remember thinking it's like no <laughs> no i can't can you see it can you like, see i can't it's right here no i couldn't see it but all i have i mean like in my mind i, I probably should have taken a harder look <laughs> you know i probably well, should have tried to see it a little bit more but i just saw like junior brown and Dale Watson and the, that kind of stuff you well know? that's the thing though it's there's different ways to get there you know i mean yeah i had to see it yeah because of whatever reason I had to, like, I always had this, uh, Al Bonetta, Todd Snyder's manager, mm. told me one night we were watching the Super Bowl. Um, I forget which Super Bowl. I think it was when the Titans played the Rams. Mm -hmm. And um, he was, I was talking about whatever the business, he's a manager. And so we, yeah. he managed John Prine and, and he was, he was out of me. He goes, son, you have, you have to shoot for the moon. Mm-hmm. Because you might hit a star. Mm -hmm. And if you shoot for the stars, you might hit a cloud. And if you shoot for the cloud, you probably end up on the roof. Do you have a pen and paper? <laughs> <laughs> and if you shoot for the roof. You, but he was basically saying, look, dude, you better you better yeah. start dreaming bigger than this. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, the subtext is you're not going to get there. Right. But if you shoot high enough, you'll get somewhere. Right. And it's just a different... And for dreamers like me, like, you know, I had to be... I, that's why I'm always so uh, enamored with guys that came up technically. Yeah. Because I wasn't a guitar player. I'm still not a guitar player. I just have these thoughts. I always thought you were pretty good. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and I always don't thought you were good looking. Don't sell yourself <laughs> short, pal. You know what I mean, man. Terrible. We got all these guitars here. You, you, you know, play one, you can baby. play. You can play. Whereas guys who had a more skill level yeah. at the technical part of music didn't have to, I really do think this, you don't have to dream as big outside of yourself because it's all right here. Yeah. It's kind of self-contained in this thing that talent can take you that far. And mine had to be, you know, I had to acquire talent along the way. I feel like I look at it now, especially the opposite. When I was a kid getting into it, I wanted to be a good guitar player and I wanted to sing. I like to sing. But first I thought of myself as a guitar player. Um, and I, my mom was the one who told me, yeah, you can practice and get pretty good, but you're wasting your time if you don't write your own songs. If you don't have anything to say, then no, who's going to want to listen to that? You know, all, yeah, the, all the best people, the people that matter, write their own songs. And for a Your long time. Your mom's smart. She, oh, she's brilliant. You should have her on the podcast. No doubt. She, I bet she'd be fun. She's got, she, my mother is so cool that when she was like in high school, uh, Rocky Erickson uh, serenaded her. Really? Yeah. And she drove him call, crazy. Call, yeah, right. <laughs> the one that got away. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's 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 a bragging point. But um, I don't know. I think over time, <coughs> like see, you know, seeing dudes like you or Todd Snyder, any any of the people that, and John Prine was big in our household. Yeah, you know, uh, good songwriters. Um, 
over time it really became like that it's 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 backwards to me because i think right. like technical you could you could be a really good guitar player and and uh and playing for somebody's band or you know yeah or, or fake your way through but if you don't have a song you don't have anything you know yeah. you got nothing to say Willie nelson said that yeah you can't make a record if you don't have something to say yeah 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 well that's true I, the i can laugh about my inability to play guitar i mean i can play guitar to suit to suit my songs just fine do you feel like you could play a solo? You could make us. You could. You could go get muster up a solo. I could muster up something, but then if I've tried it before, and it's that like with songs, I can write it and play it as if I'd played it forever mm -hmm. in front of people. Yeah. But if I try and play the guitar in front of people, that brain just starts. <laughs> it starts going, and I am just going. Nah, nah, nah. But see, on some level, I wish that uh, there's plenty of times that I wish I wasn't the guitar player. Yeah, because it, so much of my career on stage has just been—I'm in my head because I'm thinking three things at the same time. Right, and getting out of it and grabbing that moment and getting outside of yourself, like I've heard you talk about. Yeah. It was, it was was always just, a, and I can do it, and that's what you're striving for, and you figure out how to get there. But on some level, I'm still thinking about singing and doing this at the same time. Right, and, That's and that's that takes up bandwidth. It does. And, and I always figured also, you know, every time I tried to learn to play the guitar or tried to incorporate really playing the guitar, I always, in my mind, thought, and this sounds delusional, which is how you get where you're going anyway. Yeah. But I can, I can try to be the best songwriter that ever lived. Yeah. But I can play guitar all day, every day for the rest of my life and not even sniff the great guitar. You know what I mean? Like, but it's a fool's errand, man. Yeah. I, I, I got to that point. I wanted like when I was a kid I wanted to be a good guitar player. And I got to a point where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm actually pulling this off a little bit. And then I and I went to like a performing arts high school, fancy pants for music nerds and art nerds <laughs> yeah. and things like that. And I found myself around all these other really talented kids, and I started getting off into jazz. And I was like, "Well, I'm not doing that because I mean, I'll do enough of it just to learn a few extra licks, but I'm not. You don't come back. You don't come back you from don't. that. That's a waterfall yeah. coming right over the and top. Like, of you. you you can't jump right in and, and, and <laughs> get back out. You dip your t you have to. You've talked to you jazz to players. Walk in, you turn into Reed Easterwood. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I've talked to. I know that you know all those guys from Denton from yeah. way back when, but it's like they would have stories about these great players that never came. That that took them a lifetime just to learn how yeah. to play again. Hindsight, I wish I'd have knuckled down and just, you know, got over my own little stupid ego and, and just learned a little bit more of it. But I did get to the point, I guess, what I'm saying is that uh, I realized I never, I never, I was never going to be the best guitar player. Right. And it wasn't as important to me. Right. Because, you know, you can be a good guitar player, but if you don't, if you don't have any songs... Everything right. kind of, and all of it started to matter equally at the same time. And singing started to matter because everybody sings. I just always thought of it that way. I didn't really think about it. Everybody sings. Right. Some people shouldn't. But, right. Well. But everybody does. And you can, you can fake your way through an entire successful career being a cra crappy singer. Yeah. 
But I got to a point where I, I thought to myself, you know, man, you could actually be a pretty good singer if you think about it. So I don't know. I just started to think about all three of those Well, you things. can't ever fake your way through <clears throat> a bad song. Yeah. But you can be a shitty singer with a great song, and that can come off. If you can sell it. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's it. Right. It's, it's And... I've seen that growth and I mean, I'm, I'm not here to, I'm never here. We're friends at a, at a level where I feel like we're the same age, like in that same spot. Yeah. So, but I've seen you take interest and dive into songwriting and singing yeah. and telling the story and not just relying on being a guitar player and the style yeah. of it, which the style of it's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen that over the years and it's, it's, it's killer to watch. Thanks for noticing buddy. There's a lot of love going I'm on. I'm watching. Here, man. I'm I, watching. I tell you what. <laughs> do you have any advice for me moving forward in my career? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> well, <laughs> one word Batman. <laughs> Batman. Yeah. More Batman gear. Three words oh. Christian Bale Batman. Christian Bale Batman. Yeah. Oh, we're not, we're not going down to that. <laughs> we're, we're not we're doing not, that again. We're not doing that again. See, we did this before. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. I appreciate it. So songwriting the, the, became the, the thing that I love the most. Yeah. And it is now. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I, that's was always the, even almost bigger than getting a charge from an audience is like, once you wrap up a song and finish it and the, the idea that we, you just maybe stared at the wall for a couple hours, got your brain cells working as hard as they possibly could and came up with something and just created something out of thin air. Yeah. And then if it's good and you know, it's good, which is so rare. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's almost better. For you. you. Yes. <laughs> look, well, I'm like, you look, I'm kidding. I, 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 look, I make no bones. <laughs> no, but it is. You, you did something in the last four hours, three hours or however long it takes yeah. that wasn't there. That would never be there if it wasn't for you. That's yeah. a, that's a pretty powerful moment. Uh huh. I remember the first time we played with you at uh, the Gypsy Tea Room, and it really it was it was right when Hey You came out, uh, and you had Mike and Jens on guitar. Just the, you had the five piece, I guess. That's right, Jens. Powerful band, and it's great shows we did with you. But I remember the first time I ever heard Biloxi, right? You know. And that, I mean, I, I was, I dug your music from doing all the shows together and right. listening to your records and stuff, but man, that kind of f flipped my head open as far as like seeing people flipped your head open. That's not a, that's I like not, it. that's not an expression. I like it. It is it's, now. It is now. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's writing, buddy. Uh, yeah. Hold <laughs> on. Uh, no, but like that, from seeing like somebody who is, you know, all, you know, all, for lack of a better term, a contemporary. That song just was so truthful and so honest and just like really hit, yeah. you know, seeing that and going, that's the kind of, that's the kind of bullseye sort of truth telling you should be trying to get to. That's funny that at that time we were doing so many shows together and pulling, pulling different things from the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I remember being with you guys and going, oh, you can, okay, so I have all this bluster and bullshit and 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 working on songs if i could just tighten that shit up and really make it pop when it's supposed to and doing what you guys were doing which was a, the style of it was just 
over the top. I was like, because I'd go out there and y'all go out there looking sharp and playing the part. And, yeah. And then delivering the goods. It's it's funny that we, and we would meet up after every show and, and just celebrate in it. Oh, good times. Good times. Just yeah, celebrate. Well, that's, that's, that's cool that you would say that because I feel like I, I watched, I watched the Rev since I was 12 years old. And I remember, um, cause I would watch, I would go to see every show I could see. And back then he played all seven nights a week in Dallas, three sets a night, all original music mm -hmm. mostly. And you know, all this amazing guitar playing and all this, it's just an incredible bar band. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it start to happen for me going on the road and he come back around and, uh, all of a sudden, it's no more three sets. It's one 90-minute set. And I had I was really disappointed in that whole situation. <laughs> I was like, well, you didn't play this. You didn't play this. You didn't play, you know. And uh, But it got tighter and tighter, and you watched the show develop in such a way where it's like, oh, so what you want to do is come out on stage and just punch people in the face <laughs> yeah, for, for 30 straight minutes before you say a damn thing. Yeah. Don't say a word, just come out there and just level them and then say something mm -hmm. and then tell your joke or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. but your whole deal is different because I mean, the songwriting thing is, is like, uh, you, you know, that's, that's part of it. But the 90 minutes also, set was. I also, also love the whole, you know, you come out and you're kind of got you. <laughs> <laughs> thing going and he, my name's jack ingram and i play country music it's like oh, i like that you gotta have your tagline I, I like that attitude man. <laughs> it's just like well that just came out of necessity the same way everything else does because at the time i was coming up we were coming up people would be like what kind of music do you play right and you'd say country and they go well i hate country music yeah but i love you i'm like well, then you fucking love country music. But then to, <laughs> to put you up next, because what you were doing was country. And it was great songwriting. But then to put you up next to, or so many of our friends who were doing good country music, but you put them up next to the people who were having big hits of right. the day, the, those country music fans, they didn't recognize that as country music. No. So you spelling it out like that is something that I loved because it's just like, yeah, you do play country music. <laughs> yeah. You should go ahead and say it. And it was the same way for us when you talk about how we looked the part and all that stuff. Yeah. And I remember uh, at a, making a calculated decision at a certain point because we were always kind of dressed up the part a little bit, but at the beginning it wasn't as focused. But I remember when Red Dirt started to happen and the Texas music world was one thing. And then Red Dirt started coming in and all these guys start showing up with, you know, holy jeans and, you know, leather wristbands or whatever it right. was that they were wearing. And whatever elements of like, whatever sort of street clothes that we would wear on stage at some point in time, it's like, we actually, I remember saying, look, we need to make sure this is spelled out as clear as possible. We are going to start wearing suits and just make sure when we show up, there's no question that that it matches right that the, the, the our message is clear and that didn't last because you don't you don't want to wear those monkey suits forever, <laughs> yeah but, but it's important man but for a minute it was it, it became important especially in that deal and it wasn't it well i don't think it was us trying to say we don't do that no you've always it's, been it, inclusive in your friendships it, but it's more like this is what we do just so just so we're clear we play Four four shuffles that hopefully we can keep people dancing at the White Elephant Saloon. Right, you know, 
That was a big deal to get a gig at the White Elephant. It was a big deal. Yeah. It was funny because you mentioned the Melody, Melody uh, Ranch. And I remember getting such a charge out of showing up to play there or any of those big dance halls throughout Texas, certainly in the, in, in the late 90s. And they would say, they would have all the rules for the bands. No drinking on stage, no this, no that. Uh, was it five 45-minute sets? Oh, my God. Yeah. I remember, mean, five seems excessive. But I mean, four scenes was... But remember it, those? And, yeah, I, yeah. and I remember just reading those and going, I'm going to try and break every one of those rules yeah. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a charge to go, I'm playing 90 minutes. Yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not doing any of your rules, and you're going to ask us back. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm interested in your perspective on all of this because because uh, you were doing... You were doing the what people call Texas music before uh, before this whole sort of explosion where where Pat and Corey come along and then all, right. and then all of a sudden it's it's something different. Um, but you were do, you were already successful doing that stuff. So, like when I talk about some of the first gigs that we could get were these nine to one shows playing country, you know, hopefully at the White Elephant, and that seemed like a real country music show. Like, what was the landscape? Did you do? Did you dare ever do the Three Teardrops Tavern? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember being in and around that. What scene. was his name? The owner, John Bailey. John. Yeah, he was the first lesson of owner as star is probably not a real good combination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great guy, but very kind of. You know what he he used to drive us crazy because Lone Star Trio would play there, and he he's we knew we could set our watch up by he was gonna use the same joke on us every single time he paid us whatever pittance pittance he would give us. It, it was gonna come right ten nine eight seven. Who gets the extra penny? <laughs> <laughs> that was his line. Yes. Because <laughs> there's three of us. It's like, okay, good, man. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Thanks for, thanks for bringing that old, that old, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that old chestnut. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. But the landscape, as far as all that goes, when I started was, it, that was the, just like I told you, part of, part of what I loved about more traditional stylistic bands, like you guys were, was the ability to just, play four sets, play three yeah. sets. I would go into a club and, and they'd say three sets. I go, uh-uh. Yeah. Once I get them, I can't get them back. Yeah. <laughs> like Take, I hate taking breaks. I know, man. It's I'd be like, worst. there are no breaks in my show. Yeah. I lose me. How much resistance from those clubs? It was a lot. Because I'm going to tell you, when we first tried to get booked into eight airs, it was Lone Star Trio. And you know what they told us? They we they wouldn't book us because they told us in 1993 <laughs> we only book established acts. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. In what circle? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm still taking the booth now. Yeah, right. PA up. Yeah, really? It doesn't seem like <laughs> it. <laughs> not, not. I think established in that business is two different things. One for the artists or the acts. And established to the owner just means people who draw a big crowd. Well, we were bringing people. Yeah. They, they really missed out, you know, because, but they wouldn't, have, I mean, because even when 1100 Springs started playing at Eight Airs, I don't think, and I would hate to say this because I love Lois and everybody there, but I think it, at first it was not 
obvious to them at all because we weren't very good. We weren't drawing a crowd. We're on Monday nights and we looked weird and all the bar regulars wanted us out. And then when people did start showing up, it was all our friends from the bars. It was service industry night. So it was all a bunch of tattooed weird and chicks were dancing with each other and stuff. And they're like... These, you need to get rid of these guys. <laughs> but Paul Grubbs was the one who was like basically going to Lois and Junior and saying, as I understand it. Yeah. Um, but basically saying, you, you need to give these dudes a chance. This is, these are people who aren't ever in here on Monday nights. That's a good thing. Right. And it turned into a scene. It's so funny how that works, man, because they wanted my crowd. Yeah. I wanted your crowd. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I would see your crowd, I'd be like, why don't we get the tattooed freaks? Yeah. Like, we're freaky, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, instead it was like every Tuesday I played, it was frat night at the at Eight Airs. Yeah. And, and they loved it because it was all these kids coming in from nine to two and spending money and assholes and elbows. And, yeah. And just became, it, it was, that was, that was my means to an end. To just get reps. Yeah. To just play, play a new song in front of people and see if yeah. I can get anyone to take their eyes off a chick and say, oh, that's a cool song. Well, your Live at Eight record, I think, is better than ours. I mean, ours ours captures the moment, but it's, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. If you've ever gone, gone back and listened to it. I don't really go back and, li- I never go back and listen. To your stuff? Only when other people are excited and want to play me st- songs, then I'll go. Hey, that's pretty good. Wow. You don't step back in the time machine. It's a lot better than I thought it was. Fire up the old flux capacitor every (laughs) once in a while. No, I, I, I loved, I loved your record and especially flutter was such a big song for you at the time. Yeah. And you know, every time we would be loading in at eight airs, they would play that because they loved that. It was another live at eight airs. That's right. Breaks my heart. I don't think any of our music is on the jukebox at eight airs anymore. Oh, that's... I don't think it is. That can't be true. I think it is. It's okay. It's all right. That's not okay. It, it, I mean, how many live at eight years do they have? Right. <laughs> gets me a little bit right That here. gets me a little uh-huh. bit. I could be wrong about that, and I hope that I am. But uh, but I think it may be true. Well, next time I'm in Dallas, I'm going to go see. Did you go check it out? I'm going to... You might need uh, to write a wrong. Joel... Joel, Big Joel. I don't remember his last name. Joel. Big's Joel. his first name. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, very good. That's what I thought. I don't want to be <laughs> presumptuous. Presumptuous. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If you if you see it, take a screenshot and send it to me. Oh, well, I got. I, I had a heartbreak that in that same sense. Um, somebody sent me, somebody went to Aders and sent me a picture of the jukebox, and for the last decade or however long. There's been a jacking or neon above the jukebox, and it always gave me such pride. And then somebody sent sent me a picture, and the neon was gone, and I damn near had a breakdown. And uh, a couple weeks later, I found out they just had to send it back in for servicing. Oh, okay. <laughs> they put it back. I was like, I'm back. All right, let's see. <laughs> let's see if you how truthful you feel. If let's say same scenario, neon is gone. Uh but somebody sends you a picture of somebody else's neon in your spot. Which one would it be that would really get really cheesy off? Do you have? Do you, <laughs> oh, can, no. Will you say it? And you probably won't. Who would it be? 
which really would get your goat the most. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting into the nuts and bolts. No, but there are. Last time we had to edit out, uh, there's probably a solid five minutes of talking about how. Do you remember? <laughs> I don't remember that. It was great. Oh, because <laughs> we're going to edit this out, I'm sure. Because I don't want to. I... <laughs> <laughs> and then we couldn't stop. Like, neither one of us could stop. We went on for like five minutes. too we were, bad, we man. Pull, we were pulling away from Such it. potential. Try, trying to get back on track. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> hey, man. So, uh, for take two. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Dude, I love you. For coming down. Yeah. I love you. I'm I'm glad to see you. I would do it. I would do it two more times. Yeah, I love you I too. I feel like we haven't covered. Uh, we didn't cover politics because uh, you know a Let's, lot of your audience really wants to. They hear love that. politics. Yeah, they want to know how you feel about it. I do. I do feel about it. I, I feel about it too, and I would love to, to to open it up. It always goes well. Religion. We didn't talk about religion. I want to highlight that this was given to me by Ted at uh, Lone Star Dry Goods Ice House, and he wanted me to specifically give it to you because he says, and you've showed it to me now, that you make a you put this in your little fountain. So what I've done, I make I have a a Lone Star, a, an iron star, and drilled a hole in this. Put the tube up there, up there. Uh-huh. Put the star on the top. <laughs> up, there, up there, up there. Up up there. And then the water comes up. We got a cool little fountain. Do yourself a favor. Make a fountain from Lone Star Dry Goods. You can do anything Ice with house it. Cup. And let's say you're having a good time. You're at the pool and stuff. You're summertime in it. You having a little beverage or whatever. Poolside, and uh, you're not paying attention. Oh, whoops! Oh. Hey, it's all good. Just let, all me get, right. let, me, let me refill it's okay. you. It's all right. There you go. Don't cry over spilled beer. Yeah. Don't cry over spilled you, beer. You don't know me. You don't know me. Got, don't my know cup's me. rubber. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The good people at Lone Star Dry Goods Ice House. Visit them. This was beautiful not on Aval- purpose, by the way, but we both are. Oh, great minds, man. Yeah, well. We're in sync, not the band. Today, yeah, we're not the loans. Uh, the uh, the uh, new kids on the barnyard. New kids on the. I think we should. I'm thinking about a new, a change in the name. New boys in the barnyard. New boys on the barn. You know the alliteration. Yeah, I guess the, you know, but I. The, but then you lose the whole. It was new kids were a thing back when they were trying to do it. So I, I know, think, you know, like. Or we'll, we can argue that another time. Yeah, that's for episode three. Two and a half. Two and a half. (laughs) See you, bud. All right, buddy.